0: Hey, everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this wonderful episode with Brianne Borden, I just have a few things to say. Number one, my Gold Method workshop that I spoke to you about two episodes ago has actually been postponed. So there will be things coming in the future that I'll be sure to let you guys know about. But for the time being, if that was something you're interested in, I'm sorry. had to postpone it. Number two, make sure you listen to the end of the episode. Brandon Yocomb is leaving Pearls of wisdom in the post-episode secret message, so you want to check that out. And number three, I want to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. As brass players, the mouthpieces that we choose to use will have a huge impact on the sound of our instrument, and it will also dictate how easy it is to produce that sound. Unfortunately, many of us find ourselves playing on mouthpieces that are ill-suited for our needs, making things harder than they need to be. If you are interested in trying out a new mouthpiece, Houghton Horns is the place to go. Houghton Horns has a wide selection of mouthpieces to choose from, including Giddings, Greg Black, Pickett, and many more. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you are looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello everybody and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach and on today's episode I'm excited to be here with Brienne Borden who teaches trumpet at the Crane School of Music at SUNY Potsdam and also is the creator of Yoga for All Musicians. Uh, she, I'm excited to be able to speak with her because we don't know each other at all and uh, this will be a nice, like I said, it's I guess I said this in the previous take of this, but um, it's always fun for me to get to know people through these episodes of the podcast and be able to share that with my listeners. And so um, before we get uh, started, I just want to say thank you so much for being on my show, giving me some of your time uh, so I can get to know you a little bit.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about being able to chat with you and I've been listening for a while and uh, it's, it's great that I get to now... Be talking, so thank
0: you for having me. Absolutely, yeah. Let's just start with your backstory, where I beg as far back as you need to go to be able to kind of tell us where you started and how you progressed through your career and how kind of how you got to where you are now, and then we'll just we'll see where it goes from there, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I was, uh, depending on who you ask, I was uh, fortunate or maybe not so fortunate to be raised in a musical family. I think I was pretty fortunate, but um, we were all musicians. My dad was actually a trumpet player for a while. um, And my mom is, uh, she practices yoga. So um, I, I always say that I get my trumpet playing from my dad and my yoga teaching from my mom, but, um, I was surrounded by music at a really early age. I have three brothers that all play, um, instruments as well, or all musicians in some capacity. Um, and I grew up in Rochester, New York, which is, a really, really uh, just lucky thing, I think, on my end, because Rochester has an extraordinarily unique community of young trumpet players. It has an amazing musical community in general. Um, but I ended up studying with Herb Smith. I think I took my first lesson with him when I was in fourth grade, and I studied with him all the way until wow. senior year of high school. So I was yeah. Yeah. He, he, he needs to take some credit for raising me a little bit too. So I studied a lot with Herb and then I spent a decent amount of time in ensembles with West Nance as well. So I got to from a very young age be surrounded by these players in the Rochester Phil and, and incredible trumpet players and teachers. And then uh, there were a lot of opportunities as a high schooler and middle schooler to play in things outside of what my high school was doing. Um, And so a lot of these people that I was in a youth trumpet ensemble with are now all out there in the world as professional trumpet players or teachers or um, whatever it may be really succeeding in the field. So uh, it was really, really, really extraordinary opportunity and uh, pure luck that I ended up (laughs) being raised in Rochester and surrounded by all those awesome people. So I, um, it, it became kind of obvious that I needed to go to school for music. I initially thought that I was going to be a music educator, um, in the sense of being a band director. Uh, I think for the reason that a lot of people go into music education, which is that they had a really fabulous band director themselves. Um, mine was awesome. His name's Mike Struzik and he went to Crane, he went to SUNY Potsdam. And so that's that's where I wanted to go. And that's where I ended up. So I actually went to undergrad at the school that I now teach at. Um, and my seating audition, my teacher pulled me into his office after my seating audition and said, yeah, you're going to add performance as a ma- as a double major. <laughs> so hmm. I spent, I spent three years of my undergraduate degree as a double major in trumpet performance and music education. Um, and a few things had me eventually drop the music education major. I, at the time, decided I didn't want to live in the state of New York anymore. I am back here now, and I'm looking at snow outside of the window, so we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> On the day before May, the day before May, it is snowing quite a bit. So, um I wanted to get out of New York, and I realized that I really had a passion for teaching, but I did not have a passion for teaching high schoolers or middle schoolers, anything K-12. I knew that I wanted to educate in music, but not... Necessarily take those tools into the K 12 setting. I think it takes a really special type of person to do that. And I am not that type of person. So I also. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like I wasn't done when it came to performing. I wasn't, the fire wasn't out. I wasn't ready to um, prioritize things other than my playing and my practicing. Um, around that time, too, is when I got into the yoga stuff. I developed a performance injury when I was a freshman actually in college because I was playing for many, many hours, too many hours, honestly. And so I injured Mm -hmm. myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got tendonitis in my shoulders and then, um, tennis elbow. And so I started seeing a physical therapist who then sent me to a yoga teacher and, it totally changed my life and my world. And and we can definitely get to that because I will not stop talking. <laughs> I won't stop talking about that once we get there. You'll never get to where I actually am now if I keep on going there. But um, <laughs> I knew, basically, I knew when I was looking beyond my undergraduate degree that I wanted to go somewhere that I could also get a certification to teach yoga or that, that had that opportunity for me. So I applied for my master's degree in performance and ended up at the university of Colorado. Um, what a better place to get a yoga teaching certification than Boulder, Colorado. And, um, I also was, was grateful to have the, um, Teaching, uh, teaching a uh, performing teaching assistantship there. So I was with, I was in the graduate brass quintet at the University of Colorado, studied with um, Justin Bartels and Terry Sawchuk. So I was there for two years. They have a really fantastic program in their music school. That's a musicians' wellness initiative where they've got all sorts of hmm. um, resources for musicians' wellness. And if you ask me, I think every school needs something, something like that. Um, it was the first time my eyes had been opened to that possibility of that happening. And once I got my yoga teaching certification, they were also the first people to trust me to teach yoga for musicians specifically through that school of music. So um,
0: can I ask you a question real quick? Yes,
1: absolutely. Please interrupt me because I will not stop. No,
0: (laughs) It's all right. No, this is perfect. Uh, I just, for, for my own clarification and for possibly anybody in the audience, I know that I have sometimes... Um, for a very long time until other people would start talking about it, mixed up the idea or the concept of wellness versus just like physical fitness. And uh, that for a lot of people, there is a difference. And so I'm just kind of curious if you want to kind of share with me and my audience what you, for you what the difference between the two is, because from what I understand, there is a difference.
1: Yeah, yeah. To me, there's there's a difference. Wellness is actively trying to I have a really beautiful definition written up somewhere that, (laughs) that I love, but (laughs) off the top of my head, you know, it's, it's more than the physical fitness. It's what is in your mind. It's what's in how you interact with others. Even so I talk, when I talk a lot about wellness, I teach a course on musicians wellness now, and I talk about these um, four pillars of wellness and there's social wellness, which is even just like how you interact with other people. Are you getting, Out of your house, out of your, I mean, that's hard right now, obviously, but are Mm -hmm. you, uh, how do you communicate with people? How do you provide feedback? How do you accept feedback? That's all a wellness practice. Um, A spiritual wellness, which I um, don't mean that necessarily unless that's, I don't mean it in a sense of, of religion, unless that's how somebody practices their own spiritual wellness, but it's just a connection to something bigger. It's a connection to why you're doing what you're doing because something that i remind my students all the time is if you didn't major in music, you didn't want to become a trumpet player to practice scales. Right, we have to at some point in time to make sure that we can achieve that end goal, but um, we can get really burnt out and exhausted by just doing the drills over and over and over again and not remembering why we're doing them in the first place. What is that bigger thing that you're connected to? So those are two of the pillars of wellness and then Physical wellness, which is the one that people most frequently associate with it, and then um, mental wellness. So those are kind of my, that's my, um, I guess, my academic definition, what I tell my students when it, when it comes to wellness. But physical is such a big part of it. And the, the biggest thing is that they all intertwine. They all They all connect. And so if you're practicing physical wellness, you're probably helping your mental wellness as well
0: yeah, so uh, this is awesome, and i'm I'm kind of curious if you don't mind diving into using yourself as an example. Um, basically, what does this look like? If we're for me, it's the same kind of idea I imagine is for you. It's a constant learning. Like we're constantly, showing up for these different aspects uh, in our lives. And like, for me, like physical fitness is like powerlifting. I'm trying to lift a little bit more weight over time, right? Spiritual is like like reading more of the Bible each day, right? Like if it's, you know, mental is like making sure I have time for a quiet time, you know what I mean? Just making sure that like the business of life is not the only thing that's going on. And then social wellness, like you've said, make, make trying to make sure at least I'm having some sort of social time and what could that look like? All that, I, I totally agree, And for me, it's a constant process. We are constantly making sure it's not like... What I have struggled with in the past is feeling like, all right, I figured it out. I got it. And then I sort of feel like I'm going to coast. I've just coast right there. Like, I don't have to think about it anymore. So I'm kind of curious if you have any thoughts, A, on this idea of trying to get to a place where we're going to coast versus like what it looks like to have a, uh, you're constantly coming to it and then possibly what some of this growth has looked like in your life and what it continues to look like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have so many thoughts all at once. <laughs> um, For me, it has been, I'm a very type A person um, to the extent of um, planning out my wellness practices so much that it stresses me out so it's like very counterintuitive. So I will like, and I'm going to meditate here for these 10 minutes that I have free in between this lesson and in between this lesson. And I'm going to have to meditate (laughs) you know, like I get, I get really caught up in like scheduling things. And so um, that's, that's a lot of what my personal wellness practice looked like for a while, which was just like on this day I do yoga, on this day I run, on this day I go to meditation. I have uh I'm still a little bit like this. Like I have a standing uh hangout with with my little group of friends every Saturday. You know, like I I have these these things that um I get into routine with, but I'm also somebody who ends up saying yes to probably too many things that I should, and then suddenly my schedule is is entirely filled and I'm exhausted because I'm teaching yoga classes and then I'm not getting the time to take them or whatever it might be. So Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of this practice that has been really big for me has been, um, well, so I'll say that I get, I get a little like I get a little imposter syndrome sometimes because I have done extensive research on what wellness means and, and how to take care of ourselves. And then I have these days that just feel totally draining and exhausting. And um, you, I mean, you've got me on a Friday in, in at the end of April in academia. So like, <laughs> I, that's probably the space that I'm speaking from right now of this exhaustion and just yeah, yeah. Um, really being burnt out. And so something that, has been a wellness practice that um, I think it's important to talk about that a lot of people don't openly talk about um, is therapy. And so that has been something that has taught me to listen to these signals. And to not have this incessant need to like, I have to do yoga. And when it comes down to it, like when I'm doing yoga in that moment, am I doing it because it's going to serve me and make me feel better? Or am I doing it because I feel this obligation to do it because I teach it. And so now I have to be, make sure that I'm practicing what I preach and like just going in this, you know, basically spiraling into, into that. So um, the a lot of the core of what my wellness practices have been, actually have been this, this practice of going to therapy and talking about my mental health and then letting my actions reflect the work I do there. So making sure that I am approaching a meditation practice with this sense of awareness instead of the sense of obligation.
0: Mm. Do you think there's any value in starting these kinds of practices with a bit, I mean, I know what you mean by a sense of obligation. I know you're saying like you have like with yoga in particular, you're like got to practice what you what you preach type situation. But do you think there's any value for people in sort of setting up a bit of an obligation, especially when starting something, because you may not know what it will and or how it will serve you so that I'm going to do this obligation, I'm going to commit to it, not knowing what the end result will be, because I want to see what that is, then you start to see how it possibly can, you know, fill you up, serve you how whatever words you want to say, and then it becomes like less of an obligation than it used to be. Do you think there's any value in that? 100%
1: yes that's an awesome question and yeah I absolutely do I absolutely do and I think that my need to schedule and repeat things and and be on this uh, the path like that uh, first of all I blame being a musician for that because like you have to on for playing the trumpet like I I know that's where I learned to do things every day or mostly every day you know to to make sure that I am Keeping a some sort of schedule and structure, and I think that that is really that was ingrained in me from a really, really, really young age. And so when I started getting into wellness, and I should mention too that I barely, um, I barely took care of myself at all when I when I entered college. My teacher um, John Ellis told me he was directing me to where the gym was. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to go there. <laughs> like, I think I laughed in his face. I was like, absolutely not. My mom used to go to meditation when she was raising me. And I would be like, why are you just going to go somewhere and sit at a wall or sit sit and stare at a wall? Why would you do that? And here I am, you know, many years later, obviously teaching those things. But um, I think that that habit building and and need to schedule is what got me to to where I am to now where I'm in a space where it's like maybe that's not what I need today because I know how it serves me and how it doesn't or when it doesn't I should say, um, so yeah I absolutely think the yeah. the continuing the obligation and the schedule to to start off with can be super impactful
0: because one thing that really interests me about this conversation is you, there are lots of people. Who have all sorts of ideas of things that have filled them up. And we're all saying these things, trying to to help people. But, like, it's just interesting to me that the conversation is happening in the way that it's happening still. And I wonder, like, what would be the thing stopping somebody, basically? Like, if we're saying whatever X thing that I believe has helped me, what would be stopping somebody? From wanting to interact with that. So, in your, well, let's just, we're, we'll just talk about the world that you live in because that's what we're doing. For you, what kinds of things stop people from entering into conversations with themselves about wellness in general, at least from your experience?
1: From my experience, it's discomfort. uh People don't like to feel uncomfortable. We don't like to feel uncomfortable. Um, and it takes a serious level of self-awareness to understand when a change needs to be made. Um so I think that's I think that's one one thing is just like this this lack of self-awareness and this we like to do what we know and what we're comfortable with. Right. So so that's a big one. I also think that it can be intimidating. I I think that um that's my I I'm not trying to I mean I'm here to talk about yoga and I'm like not meaning to rag on yoga I love yoga so much but it can be an intimidating <laughs> thing. Like it can be mm-hmm. I have had friends that are like it's not for me. It's not for me. And I'm I'm a believer in um there are hundreds of styles of yoga. There are some really great yoga teachers out there. There are also some not so great yoga teachers out there. So like determining if it's for you or if it's for and if it's not for you based on one class is really challenging and and I I would would suggest that somebody explores other styles or teachers um so there's that like intimidating factor if a teacher is speaking entirely in sanskrit that that's not fun to to be there <laughs> if you're a beginner like you're not understanding any of these words sanskrit is a dead language it's important i I believe that it's important to implement it into my teaching to honor the lineage but making sure that there's english in there that everyone can understand is is going to make it yeah. more accessible and more approachable. So it, it's that intimidating factor and it is the if we're talking specifically about what stops musicians from approaching wellness it is that until recently it hasn't been talked about enough. Um it's been the struggling musician, um, image is burned in our brains for a a lot of reasons and for generations and generations. And the, um, you know, you've got to, you've got to put the nights in, you've got to wake up early morning, this, like, just constantly on this spinning wheel of not sleeping and eating whatever, you know, ramen you can afford. Like, that's the image that we are given as musicians. And so that's what we accept as our reality. And it doesn't have to be. Sure. So I think I think that all of those all of those things probably play a role in um even if you're not feeling your best and thinking, oh, "I wonder if I should just start caring about my wellness." It's <laughs> like, "Well, we're all suffering. We're all going through it." You know, that that kind of attitude of that can play a role there for sure.
0: One of the things you just said that I'm interested in sort of diving into is you said um, something along the lines, you may not have said this exact thing. So if I misinterpret it, I apologize. But to me, it was something along the lines of just like not knowing that there could be a problem, right? Not knowing that people, someone might need this kind of work, the discomfort of uh, enough self-awareness to be able to recognize. So one of the things I think is really important, and I try to do this with my own stuff, the practice organization stuff, but I think it's really important to be able to understand what it looks like when things are possibly out of alignment, right? So that people can, like, who want to take an honest look at what's going on with their life and to recognize maybe things are out of alignment. So I'm kind of curious if you have any ideas about what that could be. What does it look like when someone is possibly socially out of alignment or spiritually out of alignment, physically, you know, mentally or just out of alignment with wellness in general, if you don't want to break it apart like that. I'm just curious if you have any thoughts that someone might be able to connect with and be like, "Oh, I didn't realize that that's not normal. It's just how things are right now.
1: Yeah, it's I encourage a lot of stillness as much as we can. Um, which anybody who's known me is probably like either laughing or rolling their eyes at that because i'm I'm one of the least still people. Uh, (laughs) around I'm like I said my schedule is packed 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 and I, I have a hard time giving myself stillness but when we do and we really sit and like notice what's going on our our bodies have more wisdom than we give them credit for and so do our minds and so if we allow for ourselves to stop doing for even five minutes and just be and listen to these signals that our body is and our minds are giving us whether it's like suddenly there's an emotion that's flooding into our minds because like i've been pushing away this feeling of stress or this feeling of sadness or anger or whatever it is because that's what we do when we stay busy is we push away these feelings um being able to notice when that's entering or even, you know, the same thing happens with the body. If I take, allow for myself a day away from playing the trumpet, I'm like, wow, my shoulders are feeling really different today. Just that signal is really important. So as much as we can practice noticing and stillness. Journaling is a really beautiful wellness practice as well. That's one that I love too, where you are just writing down, like it, you can have structured journaling or unstructured journaling. Um, I prefer usually unstructured journaling because I can ramble anyway. So it's no different if I'm writing things down or if I'm talking to somebody. <laughs> um, and then looking back on that, I'm like, wow, these are some things I didn't even realize what I was going through that I was experiencing and that I was feeling. So those can be some, some big signals. I would also say that, um, I'm, so I'm a big fan. I, I have recently become just a walking commercial for this book, uh, burnout by, um, Amelia and Emily Nagoski. Um, and it is the science of burnout and what the stress response mm-hmm. cycle is. And it's really, really cool. Um, It's not cool that we are experiencing burnout, but, like, burnout is (laughs) is a word. Like, (laughs) I get really nerdy into all the, like, research. Whenever there's research to back up something that I've been, like, really passionate about, I get super excited. So... Um, it's this word that people throw out all the time. Um, and it's officially like it's a diagnosis according to the World Health Organization at this point. So people are like finally acknowledging this and it can be anything from the fact that you don't realize that, um, you know, we get so busy, we get so busy, we get so busy that, we hit this like point where we just don't care. Like that's burnout. Like we care so hard that eventually we don't care anymore. (laughs) I'm seeing that in a lot of my students right now too. They've been going and going and going. And it's just like, I just, here's my submission. Here's my recording. I just can't, I, it is what it is. You know, like that's, that's burnout. And that's noticing um, when you're no longer operating at the level that you hold yourself to on most days. I don't know if I fully answered the question but I hope that
0: I did. I think it's a great I think it's a great topic of discussion. I'm going to play a little bit of a skeptic here cuz I'm really curious yeah. what what you what you would say to this, but when I was younger, I was fine with burnout because I believed it was a like if I like basically just told myself that I'm just going to push as hard as I possibly can toward this goal that is in the future. And that is not like 20 years from now, right? I mean, it could have been, but I was telling myself basically five years of burnout to get this particular goal that I wanted. I'm not sure if I could have rationalized to myself at that point that uh, work where I'm not burnt out, work where I am balanced, work where I am thinking and being thoughtful and intelligent about my work could possibly get me to the same exact place in the same exact amount of time but I would not have this horrible relationship with the work along with it. I'm not sure if I could have convinced myself that that would be a better option than burnout because with burnout, it feels like even though you're out, you're just like down and out, that you're getting more done. So I'm Mm kind of curious what your perspective with like this, you know, I'm really interested in just productivity in general. Like what who determines what productive means, right? That's really yeah. the question. And almost always it's just we put it on ourselves. We're like, I have this goal, and out of fear, I feel like if I don't reach this goal, I don't, I can't like live with myself. You know, I'm I have to do this. And so I'm willing to put everything else aside. I'm willing to treat people horribly. This is me. I'm speaking of myself specifically. Yeah. I'm willing to treat people horribly. I'm willing to trash my body. I'm willing to whatever. I just need to accomplish this goal. And again, to to reframe the question just one more time how how can we justify that work that is possibly less quote less productive on a like on a day by day basis maybe i'm getting less done is better for the reaching of whatever particular goal we have does that question make sense
1: it does it does and i have um so many thoughts and um i don't think that i could have convinced my younger self that either at all. I mean, I was, I was constantly burnt. I mean, I still am like, I'm still, I, I talk about these things to remind myself to slow down, um, from time to time if, if possible. (laughs) Um, and, and yeah, I, I totally get the uh, productivity and, and, you know, what is, what is productivity is a great question. Um, I think for me, when I'm running to the I'm running myself into the ground, basically. I'm not doing my best work. So, on paper, I might be checking things off of my to do list like crazy as fast as possible. Um, I'm making way more mistakes and I'm not functioning at the highest. Uh, of my ability. And that's me personally, um, because that probably means I'm not sleeping as much. That means I'm just like sending off an email because I just want it done instead of like reading it and making sure that it says all the things and that I want it to say and, and minimal typos and all of that stuff. So, um, it, it really is a balancing act. It really is a balancing act. And there are moments when I'm, when I'm preparing for a recital, I'm, I am going, going, going harder than when I'm not, you know? Um, so it's, it really is a balancing act. And I come from a place of, um, I got very burnt out. Um, so to tie back into my, <laughs> my story a little bit, I ended up at Arizona yeah, state. Yeah. Please. Yeah. yeah, But I, so I ended up at ASU at Arizona state university for uh, my doctorate with Dave Hickman. And, um, I had never stopped. And I was like going through school for for a, a while, obviously. Um, I feel like I'm still in school. Um, I, I graduated last May, so um, just about a year ago. And um, after I finished my coursework and was ABD, I had zero desire and ability to work on my dissertation. And I wasn't even playing to the ability that I knew how to play or pushing myself to the ability that I knew how to push myself because I had been, I, it was like my body and my brain just forced me. I didn't really want to have anything to do with it. And so um, I was just playing where I wouldn't embarrass myself in gigs. Like <laughs> this, was, this was probably one of the hardest parts of my life because I wasn't inspired by playing. I wasn't, I didn't have school to go to. I just had this really big paper that I had to somehow sit down and write and work on every day. And um, if you've been treating yourself like trash and not listening to the signals and slowing down, I think that if I were to have slowed down, even if it was like once a month, or one, yeah, once a month, or even one month a year, in my previous years of schooling, it would have made that one year that was really hard in my doctorate not so hard. Um, and obviously, I eventually, you know, got my butt back into shape and <laughs> and and made it out. But it was it, it was one of the hardest things I've had to pull myself up from because I got off the hamster wheel and um the hamster wheel was spinning it was like i it, i more, more was like i was spinning on a hamster wheel so fast that i fell off and i had to just kind of lay there for a second until i had i could muster up the strength to to get back on it and find my pace again so mm. it's a, it really is this this balancing act and and um yeah like you said i don't think i look back on that now and i wouldn't have changed anything i wouldn't have told young Brian to chill. I wouldn't have because I've still ultimately I've still ended up where I am today and and I wouldn't I, I'm so grateful for that. I absolutely love where I am and what I'm doing. So I think that all of that shaped me. Um, yeah. but I maybe wouldn't have seen such difficult <laughs> things um, if, yeah. if I had given myself some moments of rest.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting – I love that you just said that because that puts such a spin on these kinds of conversations to me of like, here's what I learned from this thing that I wish I may not have done the way that I did it, but if I didn't do it that way, I wouldn't have learned what I learned, which is why I know that that wasn't the way that I should have done things. Like, it's so interesting, (laughs) you know? (laughs) It's like how – I am ai have basically completely converted into like, our suffering is like what in some ways defines us. It's like what makes things real Mm -hmm. to us. And I think going back to sort of the discomfort part of things, you know, there's a lot that I, especially, this is another thing I wanted to point out too. uh, So I'll kind of throw, just like insert it right here. I think like you're talking about with therapy or whether it's, I guess whether it's full on therapy, or you're working with just a coach, or you have even if it's something like a yoga instructor, who's just like someone to help guide you in some of these types of ways, right? I think it's a very important part of the conversation, because it's just kind of hard to just get yourself into this new way of understanding things without anybody else's perspective who's been through these types of situations. But ultimately, like this is what this suffering defines us in many ways there's a, a one of my favorite verses in the bible is consider it all joy my brother when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance right it reframes our understanding of suffering into this is how we actually gain the ability to persevere this is like we're sort of not trained to do that and then we hit the suffering and we survive So I'm so glad you said that because I think the more we start to even share that kind of thing will hopefully help people be like, we'll reframe the understanding of discomfort equals growth rather than discomfort. I should stay away.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that is a big thing. Um, That's a huge thing that yoga taught me too is, is sometimes I'm putting myself into physically uncomfortable postures and Being able to connect to my breath to find this comfort and this growth and this release, usually it's it's more of a mental hold that that's keeping me tense or or putting up whatever wall it is before I can actually soften into the posture. So so that's that's where I learned that lesson. And that was a huge thing that I suddenly started connecting to all of these. Other, I mean, it's the, it's the thing we hear all the time where like you practice what you're not good at, right? Like how can we find these yeah. areas of discomfort so that we grow and shed whatever it is that is holding us back?
0: Yeah. Like I was saying, you just hear this message a lot because it's true. There's just, it's objectively true. Right. But I just, it's like something I'm so interested to, to feel like, how would you encourage others to believe it versus just hearing it and saying like, oh, that may be true for those people. But like, for me, this discomfort is, it's like too much. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right that having a, having somebody else to guide you through that is, is really powerful whether it is like you said a therapist or a yoga teacher even I mean for me a lot of it was um me- trumpet mentors and and people that in my mm-hmm. musical life that that pushed me in those direction and I would have done anything they told me they could have told me to do some really ridiculous stuff and fortunately they told me to do great things but um you know I, especially when I was younger, it's just like, yeah, sure. Whatever. If you think this is gonna make me better at the trumpet, absolutely. I'll go do a yoga class or I'll go meditate or like if they tell me that I was there. So I think having that, that person to kind of pull your hand in that direction is really, really, really impactful.
0: Sure. Well, we're on the topic of trumpet professors, do you want to kind of share with us how you came upon uh, the teaching position that you have now and what the studio was like and kind of what your, I mean, obviously we have the the yoga part of this understanding, but as from maybe a trumpet-centric perspective, like what things do you believe in and what do you try to preach to your students? And then I'm kind of curious if you even want to move into just like what, well, well, we'll talk about that afterwards. Let's start with Let's start with, yeah, this position that you're in now, how how that worked out, and um, just kind of your sort of trumpet beliefs, what you try to share and you believe in.
1: Yeah. So I will share that um, a year ago, <laughs> I had no job. I was on unemployment. I had just defended my dissertation. I was, um, I knew that I wanted to leave Phoenix because um, it was, about 120 degrees in the summer and it, it was like the height of the pandemic too and phoenix was one of the worst places to be at that moment and um, and so i was like i know that i'm getting out i did what i came here to do i finished my doctorate uh but where do i go <laughs> and, and what do i do and so um i knew that my my predecessor and my mentor i knew he was retiring and so i had prepared um that that was a really good kick in the butt to finish my, my degree, to be perfectly honest. And um, but I still went through the, the search and interview and everything process. And so, um, I, and, and as anybody who has a teaching position knows that that takes, that takes a while. It takes extra long if it's happening during a pandemic. So I, um, wasn't totally sure at this moment where I would be or what I would be doing. And so, um, I was thinking of just like moving to some, somewhere back on the East coast. I knew I wanted to move back East and see what kind of gigging and adjuncting or whatever I could do. So, um, fortunately I got the call and I, uh, you know, went through the full, the full interview process and, um, was able to just like two months later, move, move back out here. So um, that was a really uh, massive thing in my life because I had gone from such a low of not really knowing where, where I was going to be or what I was going to do to like, this is truly my dream job. This is like, would have, I I couldn't have dreamed of anything that I would want more than this. Um, So I was able to come out here. I have a really fantastic studio i've got 15 students um, there's a, there are two trumpet studios here so um i have 15 students i teach our uh trumpet techniques class for music education majors um i direct the brass ensemble here the trumpet ensemble um i'm sure i'm forgetting something oh and i teach a, a course on musicians wellness which has been really awesome so yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. It is like I I couldn't have asked for anything more. <laughs> I really couldn't. I knew that I loved the town. I got to end up back east despite the snow, and um, I've got the really awesome group of students that are um, just really hard workers and really nice to each other, and just really, really care. And that's, that's one of the reasons I love this school so much as I went through, obviously I went, I went to school here. So I knew what the community was like. Um, and for anybody listening that doesn't know anything about Potsdam, it is a small, small, small town and a small school. Um, and it's really a gem. It is really a gem. It is, um, hopefully I'm quoting this correctly, but it it is, if not the one of the uh, biggest suppliers of music educators in the state of New York, a uh, really successful music education program. And, and uh, we just, they care, they care so much. And this community is unlike anything. I've liked every school I've been to and every degree I've had, but the community here is unlike something, anything else that I've experienced or witnessed. So I, my my students in my studio are no exception, which has been amazing. Uh, particularly in my first year of teaching full time, <laughs> and in the middle of a pandemic, so they they are dealing with a new teacher. They're dealing with a, a lot of virtual learning. They're dealing with the fact that um, this is the, uh, we're in very northern New York, so we're about thirty miles south of the Canadian border, and most of them mm. aren't very close to their family members. Um, a lot of them are from Long Island or from the city or from, um, you know, it, it, even Rochester is almost four hours away. So uh, they're they're pretty far away from family members. And they have, they may not be feeling this right now because they're tired and it's at the end of the semester, but they've done an amazing job and they've been so supportive of each other and had really good attitudes throughout it. There, of course, have been hard times throughout the full year, but they've, they have been nothing but caring and kind. So it's a great, it's great. I love it.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Um, one of the things I'm curious, uh, you obviously having just finished your doctorate, you're young and I'm assuming some of your students, like you guys aren't that like a significant difference in age. Right. So I'm curious. Yeah. Um, you know I mean basically like it's not a big deal I've done the same thing you know but I'm just curious like what's your here's an example here's why I'm asking this question is I feel like I made a slight mistake to become a little bit too like I'm not that much older than you we're gonna like hang out and be buds and stuff like that and I think like some kids like you some students yes But I think in general, like I maybe didn't ride that line. I wrote it too far to one side. I'm kind of curious for you. Basically, I'm just like, what's your perspective on maintaining that? Like I'm the authority, but like, you know, it's not maybe we're not that far a difference in age and we can't not acknowledge that maybe if that's a way to ask it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I've done a lot of personal self-exploration on because I was very, I I will admit that I was really self-conscious about that when I, when I came in, Um, I not only am I uh, young, I'm also an alum. So I know there's, I know I'm like Mm -hmm. relatable to them in such a, such a unique way. And, and so I, I had some, even in, you know, how I would dress or, present myself or whatever. I, I went the opposite direction as you and was like trying to make myself have more authority and be, you know, appear older, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and I did some reflecting in between the semesters. I was like, that just doesn't feel like I was being me. Um, it's Mm -hmm. not in my, it's not in my nature to be, like harsh via email and it's not in my nature to to um like re- not that I was like reprimanding but those are the, those are the kind of like the words that are coming to mind because I felt like I was being like very strong because that was how, what I needed to do to be heard um and this semester has been a lot more of me just kind of like leaning into my intuition and my gut as a teacher because um while this is my first full-time gig I've been teaching for, you know, I've been teaching for for quite some time, and I know that I've got a lot of um, instincts when it comes to this, and a lot of knowledge. After I, I can just pull from all of my teach all of my own teachers who were incredible in their own ways, um, and, and follow that, and that has been. I mean, who knows if the students are seeing any difference or notice anything, because I, I have no idea how aware they are at <laughs> these things. I think it all kind of exists in my head anyway, but <laughs> um, it has felt a lot better. It has felt more like, more like me, and sometimes that means that I'm, um, that they, you know, maybe I'm a friend for a second, but then kind of getting back to Okay, here is a boundary though. And this is the boundary that I'm gonna set. And like, yes, I will relate to you in this capacity, especially um, if someone's coming to me for something or for advice, I can relate to you here, but we we still have to set some set some boundaries. So mm-hmm. it has been a really big practice for me in boundary setting and in what does that look like and and how do we how do we operate as as that goes. So
0: yeah, and something I was talking with my undergrad teacher about too. Just where is that line? And and because I ref- I sort of even went further with a conversation with him because it's obviously we're talking about me. And I was like, so I, in some ways I was like spinning out. And then at Northwestern, when I was under Barbara's care, I was like spinning out the most because the pressure was the most around that time. And I was just like, you know, what's the responsibility of hearing these insane stories of some kids like having a really hard time and being like. I'm gonna step in versus that's not my responsibility. I feel like that's that would have to be, especially for for you know 18 to 21 years old. Like they're out on you know kids are out on their own and and they're they're gonna make all those mistakes you just described and that you're grateful for, right? Like we're gonna make <laughs> yeah. all those mistakes. So like how like that relationship I find to be very interesting to sort of discuss and and it sounds like for you it's it's just gonna be a very sort of personal individual thing. There's no real like right and wrong, so to speak.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely, um, yeah, it, it's different from student to student. And I will say that like one of my fears too was like being taken advantage of. Like they knew that I'm somebody who cares a lot and will listen to their problems. And so if they start talking about their problems, they're just gonna be, take advantage of me and n- never have practiced or, you know, and they'll just know if they start talking, like, Dr. B is going to sit and listen and you won't have to do your charlier that we were assigned that week, you know, like, so that was a fear of mine. And honestly, probably because that's some crap I would have pulled when I was a student. (laughs) And and so something that has been big in my pedagogy and my philosophy of teaching is um, doing as much as I can to cultivate a space for truth and a space for, um, for vulnerability in a sense and um so that you know they actually feel comfortable saying, hey, I haven't looked at this today. And then I can be like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: great, what are we gonna do that's not gonna be a waste of both of our time? You know, like the, instead of me sitting here watching you try to sight read through Longinati too and, and try to take <laughs> some deep breaths through it, like what can we do instead that is gonna be uh, useful to both of our time? or you know so then then there's less of the kind of taking advantage of that might happen with like oh crap i didn't practice what can i you know talk about and instead they they can just tell me tell me that and the more i allow that the less they do it i think the the more they they're like having to actually own up to that stuff makes them less likely to do it and sure. and then i in the same realm of you know, if they're having a bad day, I don't want them to sit there and try to make their way through a piece. Like if they're, if they're, especially this year, I have been like, my motto has just been like patience and understanding and flexibility because it's like, sometimes they're just, it's hard, they barely even got out of bed because everything is asynchronous and the only thing they had to do that entire week was show up to their lesson. And so, um, the fact that they did that in the first place is like, great. Awesome. We yeah. made it. We made it. We're we're surviving. We might not be thriving in this moment, but we are surviving so that you can thrive when you're in a better space.
0: Yeah. Uh Continuing sort of, this is a question I was going to ask earlier, and it seems like a, a pretty good time to ask now. Uh, with a practice like yoga with a practice of trying to be, you know, just come back and think about wellness in general and how we would continue to ask, what does it look like to improve in these areas? And also with the trumpet, it's kind of a long-term game, right? Like we will see maybe some value, some benefit in the short term, but it's rarely the progress that we're wanting to see, right? It's more like I feel like I understand this a little bit better or I can see how like I have maybe a little bit better relationship with my instrument or whatever. But really like, especially on the instrument, that that's a long-term process. And I'm curious how uh, all of your past experiences melds together in your teaching in a way that you can hopefully try to encourage your students that like It's chill if it's not all coming together immediately. Like this is how the learning process works. I know it because in all aspects of life, it looks like this. Just curious if you have any, like a perspective on how you try to communicate that. Because I think that that can be uh, lost in some people. They have an unrealistic expectation of what how fast things could or should happen and again with a practice like something like yoga it's the same deal like it's com- repeatedly trying and trying and trying and then it gets a little bit better and then you can sort of do it and then it's like okay now we have like a groove just kind of curious what's your uh what's your perspective yeah. is on
1: that So when it comes to are you talking about when it comes to like yoga and wellness or when it comes to the trumpet
0: Let's say the trumpet I guess is more where okay. I meant let's start there Yeah
1: yeah yeah um so Yeah, it's, uh, it is hard because we like instant results and we've all seen it. Anybody that's ever taught a lesson of anything has seen the student that like you, you feel like you're just a fly on the wall in a practice session because you can't even get a word in because they're like, just going, like hammering the same lick over and over and over again. And you're like, Hey, like, you're waving your arms as much as possible. <laughs> like, I, I, have some, I have some thoughts on that. Like, but they're just, like, it, it's, like, banging their head into a wall, right? Like, and they think they're going to get it then, right? So, um, that's, the that, I don't know why that's what I just thought of, but, um we like this instant gratification and then we end up, yeah, banging our heads into walls. And so being able to like take some space from it and like, okay, let's talk about why that wasn't working and let's, let's do that. Something that's been really impactful this year. And um, I don't think this often, but like, thank you COVID for um, this is recording and everyone's recording themselves now. And it's just an expectation and it's an understanding and that, that this is what, um, this so is what we do in my studio. I um so I've been operating with half of the students get face-to-face lessons one week, half get face-to-face lessons the next week. When they're off, mm-hmm. they're virtual. Um just because we have to air out rooms and you know, the whole, the whole shebang. So sure, sure. um, when we are face-to-face, we are only allowed to play for 30 minutes and our lessons are 50 minutes. And so for those 20 minutes I listen to submissions that they have sent me throughout the week so a recorded submission and we talk about that and on days where they're feeling like they should have figured something out by now or they're feeling defeated or they're feeling like they're wanting that instant gratification I'm like let's go listen to this recording from the beginning from you know September let's go listen to this and see the progress you've made mm. because I think that when we get really, obsessed with this, like, this should be fixed now, this should change now, we forget how far we've come already. And, and making sure that we can still hold ourselves, um, we can still acknowledge those, those wins, I think, give us a little bit more patience for the things that aren't coming so quickly. It reminds us that, like, okay, but we, maybe, maybe, Maybe my double-tonguing isn't where I want it to be, but listen to that difference in my sound. And if I can do that difference in my sound over the past six months, like if I keep working towards double-tonguing in this way, I'll get it.
0: hmm I think this is also why having some version of other practices, like you've said, like we've talked about in terms of Uh, the over the umbrella of wellness is you just see that this is the same everywhere. Like it's not unique to learning an instrument. And sometimes when we have this singular thing that we're doing and everything else is stuff that, you know, especially like, okay, I'm going to get a little soapbox here. Most of what we do in school is very knowledge-based. I just made a video on this actually. It's very knowledge-based, right? So like, It's just like you study and you try to learn this thing and then that's cool. But when you're like learning a motor skill, how you do it matters. Like when you're studying, you can cram, you can like spread it out over a period of time. You can do a little bit more, you can do a little bit less. But when you're learning a motor skill, like an instrument, like it matters how you do it, right? And like what order you may do things in to be able to establish good habits. This is very much of like what the work that I'm into doing, but... I would say, I would argue that in things like yoga and things like powerlifting and things like meditation, like you recognize that it's the same deal. Like you're learning to do a skill. Versus I'm just like learning about something, you know, it's different than like, I'm learning about like the Lusitania sinking, right? It's like, I have to learn how this is and how to sift through. So I would say incorporating these other types of things into your life just basically shows you that it's, it's just, this is a learning process in general. And it's like, it's okay. And you can, I think, celebrate your wins a little bit more easily when you're not thinking something is wrong, when things are not being put together the way you want them to be in the short term.
1: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Beautifully
0: said. I'm sorry. I just went on a little soapbox there. No,
1: I I like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, let's talk about yoga for musicians. I'm curious about this. I've heard this from uh, Buddy's studio. I know he does. He he does this. I assume it's he's it's yoga for musicians. So I assume it's the same thing. I could be wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yoga for all musicians. Yeah.
0: Right. Yoga for that's all our, musicians. So I'm just name. curious, yeah. like. Where did that start and what does it look like? How are you incorporating it? How can people find out or become a part of it? I'm just kind of the whole entire spiel. I'm really curious about what this looks like and where it came from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, throughout my doctorate, I was, my dissertation was on yoga for musicians um, and, and using it in very practical and approachable ways. Um, and throughout my time at ASU, I was with the encouragement of, Dave Hickman, thankfully. Um, I was presenting at as many colleges and um uh conferences that would have me <laughs> um on yoga for musicians. And so this was something that um I became really passionate about sharing information, um, lecturing. And I I kind of developed this like one specific lecture that I kind of would do anywhere and everywhere. Um I, I was able to be at ITG a few times. Um and so, I did one. It would have been two years ago now at the IWBC that was in um, Arizona, mm-hmm. and I um, met. Well, so front row is is uh, a woman who is sitting and smiling the whole time, and I was like, uh, "Now that I know her, I, she, she'll laugh. She'll laugh at this." But I remember being like, "What?" what is up with this girl? She's like way too excited about this. Like, (laughs) you know, I think this is a brass conference. She seems a little, uh, I'm cautious with how supportive she's appearing to be in this moment. (laughs) And she like gave up and gave me a huge hug afterwards. She's now one of my best friends and the other co-owners of um, Yoga for All Musicians. And her name's Amelia Rosenberger and she's a trombonist. And she had been doing similar things and also giving um, clinics and mastery classes. She had also connected with Claire Howard, who's a flutist. They're both from Texas. So they had done these at TMEA. So eventually, Mm -hmm. ultimately, the three of us basically just became really great friends. We did a few things um, like through we met through Instagram and and talked um, there we did some like musicians wellness challenges kind of in the in in the Instagram world. Um, and so we just all were doing this yoga for musicians stuff and uh, kind of all putting out our own YouTube videos like separately. And then I have always had a dream of training people to teach uh, yoga to musicians. So uh, uh, a kind of like past life of mine, I actually managed a yoga studio while I was going through my doctorate. And a lot of my job was teaching teacher teaching people to be yoga teachers so leading teacher trainings leading yoga teacher trainings so I had always wanted to lead a yoga teacher training for musicians for like this is how if a band director wanted to implement yoga in their teaching like they could take Mm. this training so I started kind of dreaming that stuff up with them and then the pandemic hit and it was like Let's do something like we have to do something. We have to provide some sort of resource for people so that they can still do yoga. And we managed, we ended up being on FaceTime for probably like six hours a day for like four weeks straight uh, to wow. form our LLC, to write up our contracts to, we just got our butts in action. And um, We were all in these big transition places in our lives. So I had, um, I'd been finishing up my doctorate. They both just finished their master's degrees um, and so we were going through these big transitions and kind of this like, what's next? So we just got together and decided to create what was next for us, which was one of the um, most beautiful things ever. And at this time, I didn't didn't know that I was going to be in the job I'm in. So I've given myself two full-time jobs and I wouldn't trade them for the world, <laughs> but mm. um and so we have created Yoga for All Musicians, which is a virtual yoga studio. So the, the goal is that we operate just like a yoga studio would if you were to want to go walk into a yoga studio on the street, right? Except we you can do it from your house. So we have 18 classes a week, um, and we have six teachers other than the three of us. So six teachers. And our philosophy is that every single teacher that we have Uh, is trained obviously in yoga and or meditation and is a musician to um, the degree of being professional and out in the world or having a degree in in music. So every single one is um, trained and able to uh, teach yoga and um, meditation. And it's really just like a wonderful uh, community of people that we have showing up to classes. Um, We've got some really, really, really awesome Members um that are in our weekly classes, we also host community nights. So um, we have a, a, one of our missions is to always have free offerings because yoga is often um unfortunately not super accessible for a lot of people because it is considered for some reason to um, it, it's often priced very highly in yoga studios. So we have a free class every week, and then we've got a free community night once a month where we connect, we just connect with our community members. Usually we d- read a book that month too. So we talk about the book that's associated. We've had guests. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a, our whole goal is just like cultivated, cultivating community um, among musicians who are interested in taking care of themselves. And we have, oh gosh, like five or six different types of classes. So if somebody wants to take just a meditation class, they can take just meditation or like I, I, our our classes have kind of um cheesy music names so i teach a vivace class which is like a high paced super <laughs> energetic like workout y type class but then we also have like lento which is restorative and and meditative and and um really relaxing so we've got uh kind of everything we try to have at least everything that someone might be wanting out of a physical yoga studio
0: That's amazing. Uh, where do you hope yeah. I mean where do you hope it will what it what, is it what would it look like? I mean, do you just hope to continue expanding past that? Are you like, we got, I mean, not necessarily we got what we need, but like, will you will it always be virtual? Will you do you hope to someday be in an actual studio or do both? Like what 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 do you hope for it?
1: That's the big question. That is the that's the million dollar question we get asked <laughs> a lot. Um we are open to the idea of a brick and mortar um, eventually. I don't think it's any time in the near future. Um, one of the things that we love about our community is that, you know, we have somebody in South Africa who tunes in once a week. We've got, um, I, I can connect with, you know, my one of my mentors back at Arizona State was Deanna Swoboda. And she, you know, she'll she's able to, I'm still able to like see her and I wouldn't be able to do this yeah. if this was a physical space. Um, so we don't want to lose that. Uh, that's, that's been really important to us. Um, but if we could land in a city that already has a really huge music scene and, and musicians that are interested and wanting, um, I definitely think we're open to it. We are hoping to, um, launch teacher trainings in the near-ish future. So those are, those are in the couple of year plans. Um, and then host retreats so that we can at least have some sort of physical connection with our community where like we, we all end up in the same place at the same time and can practice yoga and like have it be somewhere where we can also still like play our instruments. And if we can get some practice rooms or, or whatever it might be so that we're really staying true to the, the mission of what it is that we want to do. Yeah,
0: that's super cool. Uh, I have, On this topic, two more questions. Yeah. The first is, what has learning to do this been like? Like, we (laughs) learn how to practice our instruments, right? And you said you manage the studio, so that would be probably a big help. But just organizing all of this and doing it and getting people interested and people knowing about it and building this kind of community, like, I I have become more aware uh, from doing my own type of thing It's just so hard. And it's not like, it's as hard, woe as me. It's just not like what you think it's gonna, at least for me, it's not like what I thought it would be. You know, I thought I would just sort of figure it out and share it and it would be there. But it's so much, it has to go so much deeper to understand really what it is that you're offering took me so much more time than I anticipated it would. So I'm kind of curious, just like what it's been like to go through this process, if you don't mind sharing that. I, I, this is stuff I really care about right now for where I'm at. And hopefully other people will find it yeah. interesting too.
1: Yeah. It, it was, um, that big learning curve, huge learning curve. I never thought of myself as like a business person or an entrepreneur or like that. Those weren't words that I would have used to describe myself necessarily. I've always been like somebody who's interested in starting projects and, and, and that. But, um, Oh my gosh! Like opening a bank account for a business, and and applying for an LLC, and creating a an operating agreement so that we can't uh, screw each other over, for lack of better words, as because there are three, you know, there are three of us that that own the thing. So, um, those that was really that was a really huge learning curve. We are, however, really fortunate to have had different um, support systems in different ways. So Amelia has an aunt who is an accountant and like we were on the phone with aunt Carol as much as possible. And just like using (laughs) these resources that we had to, um, to, to make it happen because we didn't have that knowledge in ourselves and we didn't have that ability. And, um, I'm very fortunate that I have found these two women that uh, there's no way I could have done it without them. I mean, none of us believe that we could do this uh, alone. Um, that's there we complement each other's strengths in in a really, really beautiful way. And people always ask us because we're um, we're very good friends too. And and it's like that's how we operate the business. And that's like that comes first. And I think that that has been a really big thing is like making sure that we're maintaining our relationship because that's gonna people are gonna see that. Whether they they know they're seeing that or not, whether that's the content that we're releasing or how we talk to each other when we're in class or whatever, as long as like we're maintaining our relationship as friends um and and teammates in this, then everything else gets easier. It's still hard as hell. Like it's still hard and there's still very difficult moments. And we have had a lot of difficult conversations. Um, a lot of difficult conversations, but we have this willingness to do that because we know that this relationship and this community is worth fighting for and and something that we care so much about. So my piece of advice that I give everybody um if they are planning on starting something with other people at least is like <laughs> know know their love language, know their enneagram sign, know their myers briggs, <laughs> like know their like know literally everything you can because we can support each other in those moments of like, oh, okay, I'm not showing up in the way that she needs me to show up right now. Um, so let me, let me shift, which is not something that we're taught at, oh my gosh, thinking about, um, working with people in school, like uh, being in a brass quintet, <laughs> Like I don't think I'm showing up in the way that the trombone player needs me to show up today. Like, I, that wasn't a skill that I was taught. It was like, oh, I'm going to play things right. And, and if they're not playing things right, right I'm probably going to be a little mad about it. And so, yeah. um, that's, and that comes back to that, like, uh, is social wellness and, and, um, taking care and communicating of with the people that you're, um, surrounded by.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. I appreciate your perspective on it. Cause, It's just, I mean, I'm doing all of what I'm doing on my own and it's just, yeah, you're not trained for it, you know? And so I have a coach, Karen Kubitas, I'm working with her and she's amazing and she's helped educate me on what it looks like because she basically got into business and made a whole bunch of mistakes. And so I'm trying to learn, you know, like at least the way she would tell it, like there's so much she's learned from just diving in and doing it. And I think to some extent that element will always exist. You hear this from people of like, you just, you just sometimes just got to dive in whether you think you're ready or not and see what's there. Um, and this kind of leads into the the sort of my last, I guess, like I said, related to this, my last question is... Um what does failure look like? Because you hear this a lot, people who start businesses that there's this like, you know, these layers of failure or maybe something didn't work. You tried something and it didn't work out and that led you to the next idea and that's the one that worked out or maybe that process goes on a number of times and you're just trying to find your footing on the the format that works. I'm just kind of curious. Um, I don't, whether you have specific examples or just like what it was like until things started to possibly pick up or if for, you're one of the rare businesses maybe that things just picked up. I'm just curious because for me, I think I need to start like asking people kinds of questions like this so I can gain some sort of um, encouragement and support for when this inevitably happens to me and my business just to know that like it's going to be all right. I just got to keep moving forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have definitely seen ups and downs. We are really fortunate to have had a really strong start our opening. Um, I think we had over a hundred people on zoom. Um, so we like, we, that's one of the beauties of, of working with other people is that we all brought our own people into the community. And so, um, we, We had a really strong start, but something that was really challenging for us that we didn't realize is um, most of our uh, most of the people that come to class, most of our community members are either students in college or teachers at colleges. So like that's that's kind of the um, main community members uh, that we see when things are hard at school. I know that our attendance is going to be bad. Um, That's that's typically. What happens is when things are difficult at, at school and people are stressed, they stop coming to yoga. They stop taking care of themselves. They stop, you know, they they cancel the class they signed up for or whatnot. So, um, that was a hard thing to feel last semester because it was our first semester through it, and we'd been like coasting through the summer. It was the height of everyone doing everything virtually, and then it was like <laughs> November, October, November hit, and we were like, "Where did our students?" go like are we should we be worried should we be um concerned you know and and they came back they always come back and it's just like oh they just needed a break (laughs) and and so um something that's been really impactful has been actually tracking so i i run statistics on our um on the business every single month. So which classes did really well, which classes did not do well, which teachers are doing well, which teachers don't have as many, uh, has much, have as high attendance, you know, like these, these sorts of things that, um, we can then look at. if you haven't figured out, I'm very like a number person. And and I like looking <laughs> back on that stuff and like, okay, this, our 9am on, tuesdays is i don't think that's a class we have but at 9 a.m on tuesday is is not doing well and what is the difference oh we it was this format and we've changed it to this format let's bring it back to this format so just having this like willingness to um pivot i do think that's something that i learned in my uh managing of a yoga studio is that we have to pivot but not panic so uh there are hmm. times where things feel hard. And it's tempting to be like if, if there's a class that doesn't have anybody show up to it or whatever. It's tempting to be like well let's just let's just cancel that class let's just change that class. But like 2 weeks later it could have 15 people in it. Um and so so following the patterns rather than the like one instance. And and that kind of holds me accountable in responding instead of reacting. It's like noticing what are the actual patterns rather than like, well, this felt bad today because no one came to these classes to, or you know, we had really low attendance today, versus um, okay, well, let's look back on it. It's Easter or whatever, you know, like it is. Yeah. And of, of course, no one's yeah. coming to this class today. Um so just doing as much as we can to respond to what we're seeing and pivot from that space rather than react.
0: Yeah, it almost sounds like a sort of a very big picture version of what we were talking about with trumpet playing and just your individual yoga practice, like taking time to figure out like how it works and what's the right structure and what's the right plan. It's interesting. That's a really interesting perspective. I mean, You know, my coach, Karen, will always say, like, in the absence of data, our mind makes up stories. And she'll also say, like, we just need more data, right? So I think that's really interesting that you have such, like, you've sort of figured out, like, a way that keeps some of the emotion out of it. And to just say, like, okay, cool, like we're going to wait like a whole month, see how that worked. And then maybe make a plan based on the month. I think that's awesome. That's how I practice my yeah. fundamentals and my practice routine. I just make a routine and then I'm like, all right, one month, all the same, not making any judgments on anything until I get to the end. And then I can sort of assess how the whole thing came together. It's cool. I appreciate yes. that perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm, I, I have no more questions for myself. I would love the opportunity to just sort of open it up to you. If there's any sort of final thoughts you just want to share with my audience, uh, things that uh, are very important to you, anything like that, I would be very open to hearing uh, any sort of anything you would want to share with us.
1: Yeah, we touched on um, so much. So thank you for asking me such insightful questions and uh, getting my wheels turning sometimes in, in directions I don't know they can go anymore. So that's always, that's always nice to, (laughs) to just kind of talk through, talk through these things. Um, no, I mean, we talked a little bit about, uh, beforehand, we talked a little bit about like this ITG stuff. And so I'll, I'll just throw in that I'm super, super excited. I'm grateful. I have to like, give, uh, JC a big thank you for, um, you know, he, he said, We need more wellness. And I love that ITG recognized that and that they're that they're um acknowledging that. So I have a yoga session every single day um in the morning as a warm-up, but there will be no trumpet playing. It is truly like a wake up and, and do a little bit of yoga. Um but then I get to also, I have three different lecture sessions on, um, one's on musculoskeletal health, one's on performance anxiety, and one's on integrating wellness into your pedagogy. So in that integrating wellness one, I talk a little bit deeper about those four pillars of wellness that I was talking about. So that's, that's all stuff that I I just like get super jazzed about talking about and, um, <laughs> And despite having to, you know, like sit in the, the weirdest ITG ever, it's gonna be incredible. But I'm like sitting in front of my computer recording hours on end of myself just talking at the screen <laughs> and nobody yeah, to react or it's our world with. Now. but yeah, yeah. So we did it. But um yeah, so I'm I'm excited about that stuff and and otherwise, yeah, and like we're just we're we're crawling to the end of the semester and then we get to breathe a little and do it all over again. So...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you very much doing this. If people are interested in checking out Yoga for All Musicians or anything about any of the work that you're doing, how would people be able to get in touch with you and be able to chat?
1: Yeah. So they can um, go to yogaforallmusicians.com. Super easy to find us. Um, If you either email our contact email or hit our contact form that goes directly to me. I'm the person that responds to those. Um, you can also find us on Instagram, Yoga for All Musicians. That'll go to any one of the three of us, but most likely Claire. Um, and then I'm really easy to find on Instagram as well as just Brianne Borden. So I try to keep things simple if I can. <laughs> <laughs> no one else has my name, so I might as well take it.
0: Well, check that out if you're interested in anything that Brian is offering. This is a really wonderful conversation uh, for me. Uh, if you need to get in touch with me, you can do that at thatsnotspit.com. Also, That's Not Spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode or had any feelings at all, I'd really appreciate it if you would give the, ra- the episode a rating and a review on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share it on social media so other people can find it. Brianne, thank you so much for your time and just having such a great just open conversation. Uh, I mean, some of this podcast can sort of be like my own. Like, I just want to know some stuff. So it's, I I mean, hopefully for the audience, it was great. And it was really great for me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really awesome. And I appreciate getting to know you a little better too.
0: Uh, I'd like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong. Be kind to yourself. Never stop growing. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. (laughs) Hello, 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 that's not spit, fans, and welcome to the secret message of today's episode. Today's message is just a reminder that you can pick your friends. You can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. And if you find yourself hosting a podcast, be sure and blow your nose beforehand. And remember, shh, don't tell Ryan.